Anna, remember that time a trans woman might have been D.B. Cooper? And welcome to Remember That Time, an historical podcast. I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history. Welcome to the episode. I fully, halfway through saying that sentence in the intro, completely forgot what I was saying. And I was like, wait, what words come next out of my mouth? So that's where I am mentally. (laughs) Oh, boy. It's been a weird few weeks, and it's about to be more of that for me. So uh-huh, <laughs> I'm just going to uh-huh. give everyone fair warning that over the next couple of episodes, I might sound a little bit frazzled. Everything is fine, but it's also just stressful. Work is stressful, that's all. <sighs> Anywho, would you like a drink update? Of course. I'm having another smoothie. I... Since since last time when you talked about smoothies, mm-hmm. I got stuff to make smoothies, and I'm dr- I'm drinking a ridiculous amount of smoothies. I just I was in the mood, you know, and I've, it's good I've for been when in it's the mood like most days. I was like both kind of hungry and very thirsty before yes. this, so I was like, yes, smoothie, exactly. I can't stop. <laughs> Although currently I'm not drinking a smoothie, I am drinking water. Well, this is a tried and true. Mostly because, oh, the allergens are oh. rough here currently. Oh, same. Oh, my I God. can't breathe. This is the thing about living in Appalachia. It's like there's yeah. no escaping it. Oh, During the spring, it is just brutal. And I have year-round allergies. Like, it is not seasonal for me. But the spring is a different beast, uh-huh. honestly. Yes. So that's another reason I'm kind of struggling. But... We shall proceed. We shall proceed. Yes, this week we are going to be talking about the mysterious occurrences <laughs> surrounding <laughs> D.B. Cooper. I'm very, very weird story. One. It's the strangest and I love it. Let's get into it then. All right, let's do it. So, I've I've sectioned this up into for those of you who don't know, D.B. Cooper hijacked a plane. So I've sectioned this up into we're going to talk about the hijacking and then we're going to talk about sort of the investigation around that. And then we're going to talk about some like theories about what might have occurred. Great. So we're going to start with the event itself. We're going to start with the hijacking. So on November 24th, 1971, which was the day before Thanksgiving, a man identifying as Dan Cooper approaches the flight counter of Northwest Orient Airlines at Port- Portland International Airport, and he uses cash to buy a $20 one-way ticket for flight 305 to Seattle. So he's flying Portland to Seattle. It's about a 30-minute I was going to say, not a long flight. No, about a 30-minute flight. Um, he is in his mid-40s. He's wearing a suit and tie and an overcoat. And he's carrying a briefcase and a paper bag. Oh, so that's see, who we're okay, right there, with. red flag. We don't love a paper bag being carried around. That seems kind of suspicious. But also, this was the seventies. Totally, so people just kind of took whatever they wanted on air. Can we talk about this for just a second? I find yes, this absolutely. so interesting because I remember airports before they were like as secure as they are now i mean not vividly i was a child Mm -hmm. but we all know there was an event in american history that caused airport security to really tighten and i like consciously remember that and i find that so interesting because you definitely don't no i do not Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so that's like how much it has changed just within my not very long lifetime in the grand, right. grand scheme of things. And people really did take anything onto airplanes, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's they really It's scary did. to and, think about. And, you know, s- security has changed for airports in, in the more recent history. But I will say, this particular hijacking 
and just this year in general, apparently a lot of oh, yeah. planes were hijacked in the early 70s. Yes. Also was sort of like the start of that crackdown. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, but we aren't there yet. Right now, we're <laughs> just carrying whatever we want onto an airplane, including a briefcase and a paper bag. Mm. So he boards the plane, which is a Boeing 727, and he sits near the back of the cabin in seat 18C. I read actually a couple different reports of the seat number, but that's hmm. the largely agreed upon. Okay. It was, that's probably what he was on. Um, he orders a bourbon and soda. Yeah. And he waits for the flight to take off. No offense, but I don't like bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bourbon. Oh, oh bourbon. Oh, bourbon. I, I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> we can't pass up a Bob's Burgers reference. Absolutely not. Uh, so the flight is only about a third full. Uh, and it takes off at about 2.50 p.m. Shortly after the flight takes off, Cooper gives a note to the flight attendant, Florence Schaffner. Schaffner? Uh. This is bonkers to me. Um, she doesn't look at the note right away. She just like puts it in her pocket or her purse. Um, I a couple things I read said she like thought he was giving her, her his number. His number. Well, that so makes she, sense. So she just didn't even think about it. But after like a minute or two, he noticed she doesn't read it. He says <laughs> Me. He says, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. Cool. <laughs> so just like, I uh, passed uh, you a note uh, to be discreet. And but she then just you- says, nah. And he's like, well, I guess I'll just tell you, I do in fact have a bomb. I mean, I, I don't, it's so interesting because it's like, you have to believe that flight attendants are kind of used to men trying to give them their yes. numbers yes especially so, in this time it makes sense to me that she would be like nah and like not read it right away yeah so i just wonder like why that was his plan but at the same time what else are you were you gonna do you know Besides what other say plan? it out route uh, say it out right which so he ended up having to be to discreet anyway. at least maybe give that one a shot <laughs> i don't it's just so it's just such an odd occurrence yeah I, agree. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway. There are many odd occurrences that will Well, this. yeah. Uh, the note says that he has a bomb in his briefcase. Um, he asks the flight attendant to sit beside him after she reads it. Um, Which is like, I, sorry, that would raise my suspicions if I were a pas- passenger on the plane. Right. If she weren't, like, helping him with something while she yeah, sat down next to him. and just sitting down. Mm-hmm. Um. Some things I read said she asked to see the bomb. Others say that he just showed it to her. So I don't know. But either way, he opens his briefcase pretty quickly. And it's long enough for her to get a a look at what's in there. There's eight red cylinders with wires attached to them. I actually have no idea whether or not he really had a bomb. Yeah, that sounds like what you picture a bomb to be in movies, but exactly. not what they typically actually look like. But at the same yeah. time, you know, there's a reason we think bombs look like that. Right. So, um, yeah, so I, ha- I have no clue. Nothing I read said that that was recovered. Um, so, right, right. so I don't know if it was real or not. I mean, spoiler alert, no bomb goes off. So we no. don't know if it's exactly. a real bomb or not, basically. exactly Right. Um, after showing her the bomb, Cooper asks her to write down his demands and take the note to the captain of the plane. Which is like, okay, you had the time to write a note to say that you had a bomb, but you didn't have time to write down your demands before you got on the plane. Maybe he was seeing if he would work up the courage to actually do it. But still, you could have that prepared. I know. Right? Like, what? Or the maybe, logic. maybe something about the situation. He was like waiting to see what the layout of the plane was for. I don't know. I don't know. Still, though, what he said was write down my demands and take them, which means that he could have just already had them written down. Mm-hmm. I'm just not understanding the logic. <laughs> I mean, there's not a ton of logic involved when you decide to hijack a plane. Let's be honest. However, <laughs> the bits of logic in play here are flawed. Sure. Um, he says he wants $200,000 in cash. From where? In, quote, negotiable American currency. From where? Um, 
that's We're that's on a, a plane. great question. And also, he he says that he wants it in twenty dollar bills. Right. It, We're the, on he, a plane. He is, well, hold on. Let's keep going, and you'll you'll see. <laughs> okay. He also says he wants four parachutes. And he wants a fuel truck standing by in Seattle, ready to refuel the plane when it lands. So he is intending for the plane to land, and that's where for he's him to be get the given money. these things, and then for him to fly off again on the plane. So okay. he doesn't expect it to come from inside the plane. So, but again, though, your plan is. I'm sorry, I'm getting really hung up on the details. So your plan is to, you know, land, get these things, and then get back on the plane and fly away. He he, why? he never intends to get off of the plane. Okay, so why do you think they're going to allow the plane to take off? Because he is still on it with the bomb. And, and what? And hostages. Uh, and what? They're on the ground now. They have reinforcements. This, this... Bit, this thing that he does is not uncommon for other hijackings I, of the time. I guess, yeah, I guess this it is, is this is how it works. But because just... the, most of the time, hijackers who were hijacking and demanding that amount of money were trying to escape the country. So they would yes, hijack a plane yeah. with threat of a bomb or violence of some sort, request money, and refuse to leave with the bomb until after the plane had landed in the intended de- destination and then they would get off and run Interesting. away. Interesting. Like that that was the that was kind of the play. I guess it just um, doesn't so make sense really to me because this is really not that uncommon. I guess it just doesn't make sense to me because now that would like you would Never have happened. no hope the amount of getting of time, off that plane. The amount of time I've spent while researching this thinking, oh my God, this could never, this would never happen today. Not just for security measures, but just like, why would they let A, B, C, D happen? Yeah, I think about even if you somehow managed to get onto the plane, like you're not getting off that plane uh-uh. if you land it. Like you're just not. Yeah. But that's also, I guess, not the goal of hijackers now. No. In general. No. Um, so th- here's a very interesting detail. Uh, obviously the flight attendant is very nervous during yeah. this exchange, right? So she's like, oh God. Um, apparently he tries to like soothe her and calm her down. Like v- very genuinely, not like a shut up. You know what I mean? Like a, hey, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's, that kind of makes sense with how he seems to have planned this out. Like he, like exactly. you said, he was trying to be discreet. So he mm-hmm. needed her to stay calm, but not under, the more you threaten someone, the less calm they are. Yeah. But then also the later reports from other people who like interacted with him and who were present all say that through the entire exchange, he was very calm and he was just like, seemed like a very nice guy. Like he was really friendly to everybody he interacted. Like Mm -hmm. I have news for you, friend. That's a sociopath. Yeah, nothing I mean, about him fit the profile of hijackers. Sure, you know what I mean, if it's the profile of someone who's who is experiencing sociopathy, not yeah. that I can diagnose, obviously, right. but but, but t- typically, again, if we're thinking about how there were a lot of hijackings in this period, normally it's someone who's really at their wits' end. Sure, um, and and so he just doesn't fit that profile at all. Right, right. In in what they're expecting. Um, so the attendant takes the note into the pilot. Uh, the pilot, William A. Scott, contacts the Seattle-Tacoma airport, and the local authorities are contacted, and they be- begin collecting his demands. Mm-hmm. So they start looking to get the money and all of his supplies and have it ready for when the plane lands. Four parachutes. So specific. Yes. Yes. I agree. For <laughs> one person. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um. There are 35 other passengers on the plane, and they're just told that their flight is delayed because of a minor mechanical difficulty. Well, yeah, because otherwise you have a panic. Exactly. Um, they circle the Puget, is that how you mm-hmm. pronounce that? Uh, the Puget Sound for about two hours wow. while the supplies are being gathered. Again, originally it was supposed it's to a be 30 a pretty minute short flight. flight. So he made the demand. They were probably already halfway there. And so they have to stall in the air while they collect wow. supplies for him. Um, another flight attendant, Tina Mucklow, would later comment that Cooper seemed familiar with the area that they were flying over. Uh, she said he was able to recognize Tacoma as hmm. they flew over it. And um, this quote, I think I just took from the Wikipedia, says, he also correctly mentioned that the matured Air Force base was an only a 20 minute drive from the airport at that time huh so he seemed somewhat familiar with not only the air area but like weird specific details that um 
You would only know if you... Most normal people wouldn't know that that Air Force Base was a 20-minute drive from the airport. so interesting. Um, She also mentioned that he, like, ordered another drink. drink. He paid his tab in full. (laughs) He offered her the change. Why? (laughs) Because he... That's... Right? Like... Why? You just demanded so much money. Why are you like, but I'll pay my tab? Exactly! (laughs) Um... And he also offered to request meals for the fr- flight crew during their stop in Seattle. So he like o- offered to add that to his request because he was going to have the flight crew stay on with him That's for so the rest of the flight. Weird. And so he was like, do you guys want food? <laughs> oh my God. It's this like that is really- of Bob's Yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> Where he, <laughs> he Does anybody want cheese? Hostages Anyone? at the bank. Oh, looks like everybody wants cheese. Like he, this guy is just like, he just seems like a weirdly normal person to be doing it's this bizarre. like very extreme action, you it's know. Bizarre. Um, while they're circling, the FBI is able to gather um ten thousand unmarked twenty dollar bills. <laughs> wow. Um, and they don't mark them, but they do record the serial numbers. Well, yeah, from all of Come them, on. obviously, because that's going to become important later. They originally gather only military parachutes, but Cooper requests civilian chutes that have manually operated rip cords. Huh. Um, and they get those from like a local skydiving school, so they're able to get them. How lucky that these him. resources are nearby. <laughs> right. But again, he may have known that, apparently. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yeah. It kind of seems like it. That's crazy. Um. He is told that his demands have been met at about 5.24 p.m. And the plane lands in the Seattle-Tacoma airport at 5.39 p.m. Wow. Um, Cooper orders the plane to taxi to a very brightly lit spot. And he has them keep all of the blinds closed to try and avoid police snipers. Um, Which is smart. And the person who... <laughs> The person who approaches to give him his demands even wears, like, civilian clothes so they don't mistake, like his like uniform for the airport to be like a police yeah outfit yeah, like, yeah. so he like approaches in civilian clothes um he's given his demands and he orders that all of the passengers and some of the crew members leave so he didn't keep like all of the flight attendants on he let some of them off mm-hmm. the plane um and this is this is another thing where it's like this would never happen now. And also, why didn't they do something at this stage? Right. Because- this is what I was talking about. So he he says the plane needs to refuel. Okay. So here's all this time. Go in and get it. Exactly. This is why I'm we saying. Going and, get- and and I understand that part of it is that hostage negotiation, right? Like he has a bomb, and also that like like bomb squads were not what they were what they are now right like that that right. is also true but however it's there for so long i do not understand how they were not able to sneak a couple of fools on to get him out totally i don't get it so the plane sits there and refuels and cooper demands that it needs to be flown to mexico city so that's where he wants to go he doesn't plan the flight path, but he does have a bunch of specifications that he wants while hmm. the plane is flying. Okay. So he says he wants the plane to be flown. Um, again, I just took this quote from Wikipedia because it described it really well. At the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the craft, which would be appro- approximately 100 knots. So like 185 miles per hour or 115 miles per hour. Sorry. Somewhere in there. Um, and no higher than a 10,000 foot altitude. So we kind of he wants it low and slow basically. Huh. Cuz um, he, he what cuz he wants to jump out cuz he's got clearly, four parachutes. Clearly. Um he further specified that the landing gear remain deployed in the takeoff landing position and huh. that the wing flaps be lowered to 15 degrees and the cabin remain unpressurized. So again, it it seems like he's trying to set up to So to jump interesting out of it. that he did all this research about And it he knows all of this, right? Yeah. Um Because of this very specific way the plane needs to be flown, the plane is going to have to refuel again. Well, yeah. It it burns up a lot of fuel. So they agree to stop again in Reno, Nevada to refuel. So, like, again, he's just sitting there with the pilot planning They refuel twice. 
Well, we'll get well, to that. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Like, there's another opportunity. To go in and get him. Yeah. And-, and and you have to imagine that, like, if you're the authorities now, that's your plan. Is to Has be to be. Because at that in- point, yeah. it's like, it's gone too far, right? Exactly. We've met your demands. We appreciate that you let the hostages go for the most part. But, like, it's it's too far now. We can't allow you to, like, get away with it. Exactly. Um, he also wants them to fly with the rear exit door open and the staircase extended. What? But, but the airline itself refuses because they say that it's unsafe. You can't do that. <laughs> um, and, and te- technically, with the, with as low as it's flying, it, it would be okay. It wouldn't be good. It's but it would still be not okay. safe. Um, but he decides that's not something he's going to argue the point on because he knows how to open the door. So he oh, knows of course he'll he be is. able to do it once the plane's in the air. Oh, my God. Um, so he, he he gives up on that. And again, throughout this whole thing, he's very, like, calm and friendly and, like, it's, it's so weird. It's so interesting to me that, like, the airline is the one that put its foot down. The airline was like, hold on. <laughs> no. We're not going to well, allow the, that. Well, <laughs> the negotiations betw- were between, obviously, the FBI, um, but also the airline because they're – I mean, it, they are insured on that money. That but they, what I'm saying you know, is that, like, the FBI is basically meeting all of his demands. And then the airline was like, hold on. Actually, don't do that. We're the ones who are we'll going to say die. no to something. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he he doesn't plan the flight path, which leads a lot of people to believe that he probably didn't have an accomplice. Because if he was supposed to meet someone somewhere. He would have wanted it on a specified. So that leads most people to believe he's probably working alone. Um, He only has the end destination in mind. He just wants to get to Mexico City, Mm -hmm. which again, for hijackings at this time was pretty normal. Um, At about 7.40 p.m. So again, the plane has been there for two hours. And he's still on it. And he's still on it. Um, At about 7.40 p.m., the plane is able to take off again with Cooper, the pilot, the co-pilot, the engineer, and one flight attendant aboard. Um, There are two fighter planes that are trailing the plane out of view. So now at least they're kind of trying to like track it. um, Well, yeah. And make sure there's some like rescue up there if anything goes wrong. Um, After takeoff, Cooper orders everyone to stay in the cockpit with the doors closed. Um, At about 8 p.m., a warning light flashes that indicates that the door is being opened. The exit door? The exit door, yeah, that he originally wanted to be opened. Uh, the co-pilot offers to assist Cooper via the inter- intercom to just be like, hey, don't kill yourself. Um, and he refuses the assistance. The crew notice a change in air pressure, which means that the door has been opened, mm-hmm. so they know for sure that it has been. At about 8.13, the tail section of the plane suddenly moves upward, which could indicate that it suddenly lost some weight. So that is the belief that that is probably mm-hmm. when he jumped out. Um, the pilot lands the plane in Reno at 10.15 p.m. And when they land, there's a ton of police and FBI there and they search the plane and he's no longer on board. So it, it's assumed that that 813 when the tail went up is probably when he jumped. Do you think he would have jumped if they didn't have to refuel? I I don't know. I don't know. If That's was- my biggest question because it's like, what was the... What was the plan and what was the backup plan? Like, was the backup plan that somehow you get to Mexico City because you didn't have the guts to jump at the last minute or something? And or that was the plan it, itself was to jump or was it? Yeah, flipped? or was it the other way around? That's yeah. what I find really I personally think, well, I don't, I don't know. Because part of you could say that because he didn't plan the flight path, he didn't care where there was in between. He only wanted to get to Mexico City. But you could also say he didn't really care where he jumped out as long as he was going to be able to, like, get back to to a home of some sort to spend that or, money. Or just anywhere. He was just yeah. trying to get away from something, something. and he didn't really yeah. care where he ended up. Exactly. Now, it would make more sense if you're trying to get away from something for you to enter another country. But at the end of the day, if you are working alone and you don't have an accomplice, like just get get off the grid, basically. So I don't it's just so interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, what was the plan? Um, So that's it. That's the hijacking. 
So let's talk a little bit about the, like, immediate investigation, like, right after it happens. So after investigating the plane, there are 66 fingerprints found, um, which would make sense. There were a lot of passengers and people there. They also find Cooper's black clip-on tie. (laughs) I forgot about the clip-on tie. (laughs) Um, His tie clip. And they find two of the four parachutes he requested. So that meant that he took one to use and one as a backup, basically. Right. Um, the FBI are able to collect a DNA sample from his tie. Um, I think that happened a little bit later, and it's still in the system to be tested. Um, and they assume that that DNA sample is his because he was one of the few people, I would assume, who would have touched his tie, right? Um, sure. Composite sketches are drawn pretty quickly. They're very famous. You can find them on the oh, internet. Yes. Um, and they are thought to be very accurate. Um, the two uh, flight attendants who spent the most time with him were both interviewed like immediately and gave almost identical descriptions. So the the drawing that we have of him is thought to be very accurate. Yeah. Uh, well, they the, were with him for a long time. Yes, that exactly. helps because wit- witness eyewitness testimony is tough because your memory just changes things. Mm-hmm. But the longer you look at someone, it, it helps that they did it immediately and yes. that they interviewed people who spent a lot of time with him. Yes, like if they had if they had gotten composite sketches from just people the other passengers on the, plane, on the plane, it wouldn't have been accurate. They'd be vastly different. Yeah. Um. As the FBI begin investigation and interrogating, like, possible suspects, they question an Oregon man who is named D.B. Cooper on the off chance that the hijacker used his real name. Very unlikely, but they Mm -hmm. have to cover their bases. Um, He's very quickly ruled out, but a local reporter confuses the suspect's name with the name of the hijacker, so they confuse Dan for D.B., Um, And that error is like wired and reported. And eventually the public just knows it as D.B. Cooper and not Dan Cooper. So D.B. Cooper was never the name that that man gave. But that's what we call him now. Whoops. Isn't that interesting? Yep. (laughs) That's really interesting. Poor D.B. And then I also feel bad for that man because now his life is forever ruined. Poor D.B. Poor actual D.B. Cooper. Yikes. The FBI also, of course, begins searching the area for Cooper because they assume he jumped out of the plane. Um, But the exact location, obviously, is really difficult to determine. Yeah. Because not only because he jumped out of a plane, they know roughly where they were when he jumped out, but the... Any slight difference in the speed of the plane, in the altitude of the plane, mm-hmm. in the amount of time that he was in free fall, if he even managed to open the parachute, all of that could change the location by, like, huge miles, yeah. Miles and miles and yeah. miles. Um, neither of the planes that were trailing the plane or the radar noted anything exiting the plane, but it was dark, it was cloudy, it was raining at the time he would have jumped. Of so course it was. It's very likely that it they wouldn't have seen anything regardless, right? Yeah. Um, so they they use everything in their ability to determine a search area and we're going to talk about that, but I'll also note that later they determined that their original search area was probably not correct. Um, after like reanalyzing well, yeah. a lot of the stuff. So you know, they were kind of in for a losing game regardless. I think now it would have been easier to find him if this yes, happened in the now times. I agree. But also, also this wouldn't have happened. In general, this know? wouldn't have happened at all if it were now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, they search around Mount St. Helen and Lake Merwin. Originally, that's the area they believe that he had jumped into. Uh, they search on foot and by helicopter, obviously with several hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, they also conduct an aerial search uh, along the original flight path, just because, you know, that's part of the yeah. procedure. Um, because it was winter when the uh, crime originally happened, they also go back and conduct another search in the spring of 1972 sure. when everything thaws, um, just in because ca- they don't find anything in their initial search. So, you know, if he died or whatever. Or if he left something, if he dropped something, maybe. They're more got... likely to find it after a thaw, basically. Right. 
Um, so in spring of 1972, over 200 men searched for 18 days in March and then another 18 days in April. Wow. And um, the most evidence they find is a few broken trees, which could from, be from just about anything. Um, they find some material that could be from a parachute, but they're not very conclusive. Um, and yeah, it's, it is one of the most, if not the most, extensive searches in U.S. history, and they found no evidence wow. at all. And again, that has something to do with that might not have even been the area what, that right. they went to. You oh. know, like the, I'm sure they were doing other searches around, but they they had they had you have to focus on one area. Sure, or nature. you're never going to get anywhere. And, but they just they they probably got it wrong, and there was kind of nothing they could do about it. Oh. Sometimes these cases, I think that that they end up doing stuff like that due to just poor ev- planning everything but this doesn't seem like that to me they just genuinely didn't no it's know. really just like well what are you gonna do you have to pick a place yeah you have basically. to start somewhere mm-hmm. you know um obviously shortly after the hijacking the fbi also releases the serial numbers of the bills in an attempt to recover the money um initially they require they send it out to banks casinos you know places they assume that people would go and spend money after hijacking. Um, mm-hmm. And then they start releasing it to the public. Um, newspapers start publishing them. They start offering rewards for if any of the bills are recovered. And some of those rewards are open until through like right. Thanksgiving of 1974 for like two years. Um, but none of the ge- genuine bills are ever recovered during that time period. That is that bonkers search. to me that yeah. none of them. So within because, those like, two years, they don't find anything. Because, like, if he lives, he spends it, right? Uh-huh. Although, this happened in 1971. When did they release the serial numbers, did you say? Shortly after, within that first year. Okay. E- either, either before the end of 71 or right at the beginning of 72. Okay, so I just, man, did he not live or did he just somehow not spend the money? I don't know why you would have the money if you're not going to spend it. Exactly. Um, And they never recovered his body. So right, so. If he did die, they wouldn't have found a, a body to look for the money on anyway. You know? Man. Now, there is an, an interesting thing about the bills. Um, on February 10th of 1980, so we're jumping ahead a little bit because the, this investigation was, is extensive, um, and, and didn't see a lot of action right at the beginning. So, you know, um, so on February 10th of 1980, an eight year old boy named Brian Ingram is vacationing with his family on a beach called Tina Bar on the Columbia River. And he's, like, out searching for, like, a place to set up a campfire with his dad, I think. And he finds three packets of the ransom money on the beach. Wow. The bills, most of the bills were disintegrated. Um, and, but they were still bound in rubber bands. So they were still in the original, like, binding that they had come in. Mm-hmm. There were two packs of $120 bills and one pack of 90. So one pack had 10 bills missing. <sighs> so this is interesting. I know. Um, this site is not near where they originally thought that he would have fallen. Um, it's actually pretty far from the original search. But then in the later years, like I said, they kind of changed the area where they thought it's actually more likely that he fell here. Um and it's not close to that area either. However, some people believe that he may have dropped some of the money during the, f- the fall because the flight attendant mentioned that she saw him like tying the money around him. So it's possible that some of it like fell out. And if that was the case, it might have fell into the um, Washougal River and eventually floated down the river into the Columbia. But... But where did the other bills go? Yes, I That's know. the question. Did right? he... Every other piece of that makes sense to me, except for the missing 10. Did he take... <laughs> did he take some out <laughs> before jumping? I like, don't know. just in case. I don't know. I don't... That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess another theory would be that he took some out 
and then ditched the rest so that it would be less likely to be able to be traced but then why ask for so much money that doesn't make any sense well this is this is only three packs of the of the bills right so this is what i'm saying if you're gonna small portion of the money this is what i'm saying though if you're gonna take a small portion with you and then ditch the rest like first of all where are the other ones and secondly like then why ask for that much money sure you know Um, i it doesn't make any sense yeah so authorities search the rest of the beach but they don't find any other evidence um most people believe that it's very unlikely that those bills had been like put there you know what I mean? Right. Like put in like the sand Like he didn't there. ditch them. No, like right. it, it. they had very clearly been like eroded by the river. Right, or, right. Or by water for some time, you know? Um, The bills that were recovered were retor- returned like between the Northwest Orient Airlines insurer because they have a claim on some of it and the FBI obviously needs to keep some for evidence. Um, Brian actually kept $15. Huh. And in 2008, or 15 bills, I mean, um, and in 2008, he sold them at an auction for $37,000. Holy crap. So Wouldn't it 15, be funny? $20, old, old $20 bills, he got $37,000 out of it. Wouldn't it be funny if then in that $37,000, it was like, oh, here are more. Oh my God. <laughs> what if they paid cash and he was like, now I have more. Who wants to pay me for them? Oh my gosh. That's so um, funny. None of the other bills have ever been found. That is bonkers. So like, those, where those, are they? Those two hundred ninety twenty dollar <sighs> bills are the only from the ransom money to have ever been found. There are like thirteen thousand other bills out there. That's, oh, that's or not thirteen. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of bills still out there. That's bonkers. Yeah. Right. <sighs> um. That is about as specific as I'm going to get on the investigation because the rest of the investigation was really like years spent searching for the money mm-hmm. and years spent following leads on suspects because that's kind of all they had. Right. You know? Um, but I do want to spend some time talking about some theories and some of the suspects. Um, over the years of this case, there have been like 800 to 1,000 suspects. Um <laughs> at some point or another that's such a bummer yeah um so we're not going to get into it just yet but the ones i've picked are just the ones that i find most interesting i just picked a handful of like interesting stories um but before we talk about suspects i want to talk a little bit about what who they think this person probably was like like the profile i I want yeah i want to talk a little bit about the profiling of dan cooper um, so we can understand what we're looking for when we look at a couple of the suspects. So, like I said before, the physical description and composite sketches are thought to be super, super accurate. Um, he is supposed to be around 5'10-ish, um, maybe about 180 pounds in his mid-40s. He had brown eyes. Um, his eyes were, like, kind of close set. Uh, so, so while the, this description is thought to be very accurate... It is also just, like, kind of every white man. <laughs> right. It's you not very I mean? specific. Um, if you look at the sketches, I think he does have a very specific-looking face. But it is, yeah. like, you know, he was he was a 40-year-old white man. So, like, dime a dozen, you know? <laughs> totally. Um, but here are some other details about wh- how, how it, this might help us figure out who he was. Uh, we I mentioned earlier he seemed familiar with the Seattle area. And he seemed very familiar with the plane that he was on. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people believe that he might have been an Air Force veteran um, to have that knowledge of airplanes. Um, or that he may have worked for Boeing. I think the second is probably more likely. Um, a lot of the reason for the Air Force veteran theory is because of his also his knowledge of jumping out of a plane. Um, sure but i find it interesting that he asked not to get the military grade parachute mm -hmm, yes which he would probably have been more familiar with if that were the case yes Mm -hmm. i also think you have more anonymity if you're like if it were the that he worked for boeing Mm -hmm. he would probably be not as mm-hmm. easy to find. Like, if he had been and in the Air Force, they probably would have found him. It's also possible that both of those things could be true. 
Um, this That's also true. In or the neither. 70s, there were a lot of World War II veterans yeah. hard-pressed for money because we took such poor care of our veterans after yeah, World well, War II. Yeah, you say took, so, but... Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But you know what I mean. Like, that. that's... The, yeah. He would not have been... If he was a veteran, he would not have been the only one to commit a crime like this. Yeah, but then the, there's, you know, it could be neither. Yeah, exactly. It could just be, yeah. like, a geek for airplanes. Yeah. You know? Uh, but, you know, that's just what we're generally working with is he had some right. knowledge, so maybe he worked with them. You know what I mean? Um, I I find this to be very interesting about where he got his name. Um, I'm just going to read this quote. Uh, Agents theorize that Cooper took his alias from a popular Belgian comics comic book series of the 1970s featuring the fictional hero Dan Cooper, a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot hmm. who took part in norm- numerous heroic adventures, including parachuting. Um, okay. Those comics were never published in America. So if we're working with the theory that he was a veteran, he probably would have read them on a tour in Europe at some point. If, if we believe that that's where the name comes, came from. Some people also theorize that he actually might have been Canadian. Well, that was my first thought. Because these comics were published in Canada. I mean, they're Belgian, but they were published in Canada and also, when he requested the money, he referred to it as negotiable American currency, which is not something an American probably would have said. Totally true. And also, like, to me, if this is true, that points to, I think, him not being an employee of the, uh, um, you know, playing company or an Air Force vet. It points to, to me, someone who's like, obsessed with those things and wants sure. to be the hero in the sure. story yes but that's just if this mm-hmm. is true and know. also he didn't have any notable accent so that if he wasn't american canadian he would be, could have yeah. been canadian yeah um this i just found interesting this is a theory from somebody named tom k who we're actually going to talk more about in just one second um uh he has a a group of investigators called the citizen sleuths um who have done some investigation on actually a lot of really extensive investigation on this case but this is a theory from from his research team um this says cooper's meticulous planning might have might also have extended to the timing of his operation and even his choice of attire the FBI searched but couldn't find anyone who disappeared that weekend, Kay wrote, suggesting that the perpetrator had returned to his normal occupation. If you were planning on going, mm. quote, back to work on Monday, then you would need as much time as possible to get out of the woods, find transportation, and get home. Hmm. The very best time for this is in, the, is in front of a four-day weekend, which is the timing Dan Cooper chose for his crime, because it was Thanksgiving. Uh, furthermore, if he had, if he was planning ahead, he knew he had to hitchhike out of the woods and it is much easier to get picked up in a suit and tie than it would be to be in like blue jeans. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. However, if you're planning to go back to work, why do it at all? (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know, why do it? Mm -hmm. If you're not trying to, like you said, it's common that they would want to escape to Mexico. He says he's going to Mexico city. Like, why are we doing any of this? And then he doesn't spend the money or anything. So it's like, if he does end up getting back, then what happened to all that money? Mm -hmm. So I Unless he was just a thrill seeker to the the highest extreme. I don't know. That seems... It seems really elaborately planned with high stakes for then no real reason the stakes are too high for you to then be planning to go back to work on monday right like um i just i just found that it is very interesting interesting it is very interesting but in my mind it's probably someone who didn't have a job to go back to and then nobody Mm -hmm. noticed they were missing right Uh, rather than someone because you know they said like they checked people weren't really missing Mm mm-hmm like, okay, so then maybe it was someone who people wouldn't miss. Have noted that they went missing. Right. Yeah. Um, so here, here's where we get a sort of split in the belief about him as a person. Some people believe that he was probably a skilled paratrooper based on his knowledge of the plane, the fact that he knew, like, what to do to get out of the plane. 
But there are a lot of others who disagree because he jumped in the dark in the middle of a rainstorm. Um, One of the two parachutes that he took with him was actually a training parachute that was sewn closed. So if he was a skilled jumper, he would have known better than that. Well, damn, Jackie, he can't control the weather. (laughs) You know, Um, I don't put a lot of stock in the weather one because it's like, okay, well, he's here now. It's raining, but this is the plan. You got to do it. Right. Um, But yeah, so so we're kind of split half and half on that. Yeah. So when we go over suspects, some people have training and to some people that says that's definitely not him. And other people say that definitely is him. And then the flip is also true, you know? Yeah. Um, I mentioned before the Citizen Sleuths, um, who are led by, uh, Tom Kay, who is a paleontologist from a museum in Seattle, and they have done extensive research into the case. Um, they were able to use an electron microscope to investigate the tie that Cooper had left behind. They found over a hundred thousand particles on the tie, including some... Materials that were really rare in the 70s, like uh, cerium, sorry, cerium, strontium sulfide, and pure titanium. Um, Mm. And those materials would have only been used in like really specific fields in the 70s. And one place where all of those could be found was at Boeing. Sure. Because the company was developing an advanced supersonic plane and they used all of that stuff while they were developing that. Um, So this has sort of supported that theory that Cooper may have worked as in at Boeing in some capacity, probably not in like a manufacturing job because he would have worn that tie to work. So it probably would have been as like an engineer or like a manager. Oh, sure. Okay. That's an interesting theory. And this would have allowed him to have that really advanced knowledge of the plane. Yeah. Um, which I find very interesting. So so that kind of summarizes the sort of person we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, the leading theory is that he probably died after jumping out of the plane because of the conditions that he jumped in. Um, it seems yeah. unlikely that he was able to get the parachute out or if he did to survive the rainstorm or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. Hmm. Um. I mean, they were flying lower than so. I don't know. I, but the cloud cover so also meant he me. couldn't see where he was going. It's it's a real mixed yeah. Bag. That one's really tough for me. It's like I'm a, I'm pretty evenly split on it. Yeah, I can't I can't decide um, what I think. But of course, over the years of the investigation, there were like eight hundred to a thousand suspects. So I've picked out a few of my favorite stories. Um, This is in no way all of them. These are just the ones I found most interesting. Okay. So we're going to start with William Gossett. Uh, He was a Marine, Army, and Air Force veteran. So that fits that piece of the profile. Mm -hmm. Um, He was experienced in both jump training and wilderness survival, which would have allowed him to jump out and survive the the plane, right? Um, And he was apparently obsessed with the Cooper case. Um, he collected a bunch of, like, news articles about it and knew, like, everything about the case. And late in his life, he told his sons that he was Dan Cooper. Mm. Um, there are photos of him from the ni- from 1971, and they do resemble the sketches. Although we will find that often because, again, he was a white man. <laughs> um, uh, but one of his sons remembers him showing wads of cash before Christmas of 1971. So that kind of would have fit that timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his son also reco- recalls him having a gambling problem and speculates that if he did ever have the money, he probably pretty quickly gambled it away. Although to me, we probably would have found it. We would have found that it. Was the case. Yeah. Um, there's some other circumstantial ed- evidence that um, apparently... There, there is like some stuff that the FBI hasn't released to the public, obviously, because they want to be able to check facts. Yeah, that nobody would know. And there is apparently a physical detail that Cooper and this man um, have in common, but they they haven't not released that information, or the investigator mm. who looked into this hasn't. Um, 
1988, he changed his name to Wolfgang and became a Roman Catholic <laughs> priest. Some people think that maybe sure. he was trying to go in hiding, but I just find that detail delightful. <laughs> okay. Um, the FBI has no evidence, no firm evidence to connect him to the case. He was pretty quickly dismissed, but. Yeah, to, the, to me, this one's a no. Yeah. I'm just going to give my opinion. Just, this one's a no to I me. like the idea that they, they thought someone who was so obsessed with the case had to have done it. You know what I mean? This is common, though. A lot mm-hmm. of people get obsessed with the cases, you know, and the same thing. Has, somebody confessed to killing John Benet Ramsey, and then they found out, like, he wasn't anywhere near the place. He was just obsessed with the case and obsessed exactly. with her. So this kind of stuff happens yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they want the notoriety and the attention, or it's just taken over their brain to such an extent that it's like they convince themselves that yeah happened. they've got some sort of delusion that they're part of it mm-hmm. which is sad um yeah this one's a no for me this yeah one's a not no. not my favorite i put it up front because it's not my favorite well i i mean i love the detail about becoming a roman catholic right that's mostly why I Wolfgang. <laughs> um but i'm gonna go ahead and say no on this one we would have found the cash uh yeah. it's definitely not him okay continue <laughs> uh Dwayne weber is a World War II veteran, again, fits that profile, who served several prison sentences between 1948 and 1968 for burglary and forgery. And a lot of FBI agents assume that the hijacker probably had to have had some kind of criminal background. I personally disagree with that. Yeah, I don't know about that. But I understand why they would believe that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In 1995, on his deathbed... He apparently told his wife, I am Dan Cooper. We're going to get a lot of this. Um, She then started like going back and thinking and noticed some clues from his life that might have made that true. Um, So she said he often had nightmares and would sleep talk about having left fingerprints on an airplane. Oh, okay. Uh, He had a knee injury that he told her he got from jumping out of a plane. Okay. She went to her local library to research dan cooper because she didn't know who that was when he said that to her and he she found his handwritings in the margins of a book about db cooper that he had like Mm, left notes on interesting um he was apparently a fan of bourbon also a couple of our details have mentioned that just because it's why not um and apparently in 1979 they took a trip to seattle to the columbia river to that same beach where they found the money Mm. um and she said that he took a walk alone along the riverbank um and it was four months later when they found the cash so again i don't think it would have degraded that much in four months but that is an interesting detail that that's like kind of on the the timeline Mm -hmm. um he was an active suspect for a couple of years but his fingerprints were tested with the ones found on the tie and they didn't match but again, we're not 100% sure that those fingerprints were Cooper's. Right. So. Now, this one's more feasible to me. I remember them talking about this in the BuzzFeed Unsolved one because yep. I remember Shane laughing at, I am Dan I Cooper. I am Dan Cooper. I'm um, the Phantom of the Sky is my favorite quote <laughs> yeah. from that episode. So this one I like. I, I I feel like we're good on this one because you're right. We don't know that those fingerprints were his. Um, and he you also know, we didn't don't know how make many... a big fuss about it in the way that some of our other suspects will. Right? He, he didn't like, make a public of... confession or anything. Right. right. He, uh, you know, the fingerprint thing, it's like we don't know how many people may have handled that before anybody got their hands on it to it was process the 70s. it for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also, like, a lot of the stuff that's like, circumstantial it's in the same vein of like well it was the 70s like who knows how well everything was processed Mm -hmm. in general and i think my only real hang up with this one is the handwriting because it's like okay you think you know someone's handwriting but a lot of people have similar handwriting and even professionals it's like a very extensive process comparing the handwriting to the note they were just saying that she found that he had made notes on the no i know i'm saying she thinks she recognizes his handwriting but you don't know because no one analyzed it right to see if it really was. Right. So that's my only real hang up with this one is like, well, I don't really love that piece of evidence. And I also think it's possible that like the reason we never found any of that money is maybe he went home and put it in savings. Like if he went on to live like a normal life, maybe that's what he chose maybe to do Maybe he with regretted it. it, buried it somewhere. Or something and then like we never that. saw yeah. it again. And like maybe he kept part of it because he wasn't quite ready to 
let go of whatever mm-hmm. happened and then maybe he took it to the beach that time the beach thing is very compelling yeah that's interesting to me there are the obviously only thing big is, holes it's that, it's that money i can't figure yes I can't, figure out, those can't bills. figure out why those bills are gone yeah maybe maybe his wife got into it and took and the no. bills and then she he realized what happened but i don't so he understand he why they would have degraded that much in four months there's no way like if you've seen pictures of them they're like falling well, to pieces unless he put it in the water and didn't like bury it there he could have yeah. put it somewhere. I mean, I don't know how much water damage is required to do that, like, over what amount of time. Mm-hmm. But that's very interesting. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm on. I'm, I'll mark this one as a maybe. Yeah. Um. This one I don't think is likely. I just found the story very interesting. Okay. Um. Barbara Dayton, who was born Robert Dayton, was a U.S. Marine and Army soldier in World War II. Again, we fit that veteran tick. Mm-hmm. Um, after being dis- discharged, she aspired to be a pilot, but she couldn't receive her license. Um, she medically transitioned and had surgery in 1969. So she was born male, transitioned in 1969. Mm-hmm. Um, after her surgery, she had a lot of trouble. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, that's when we went to the moon? Oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, she had a lot of trouble after her surgery. It didn't go super well, and, and she was kind of hard-pressed for money. She had well, it was 1969. A, yeah, so. she had trouble finding a job. She had been living on welfare. And um, she claimed to have staged the Cooper hijacking a couple years later, dressed as a man, mm. to, quote, get back at the airline industry and the FAA, whose insurmount- insurmountable rules and conditions had prevented her from becoming an airline pilot. Um, she later recanted her claim because she discovered that charges could still be brought on her. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't have a ton of details about her. I just found that to be so interesting. You know, I don't think that this one is outside of the realm of possibility. I don't either. Really, it's only outside for me because there aren't that many details. Um, sure. I just, I just found that. So I had to do a little bit of digging to find information because she was like mentioned on the Wikipedia and I went, wait, that's really interesting. And I had to dig to find like any other information about her. Um, but I I think this one's a maybe. I think it's a maybe. I think that the motive is the strongest. Yes, it is the strongest motive we've had so far. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, this one is is very interesting to me. Um, Richard McCoy was an Army veteran. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, a helicopter pilot and an avid skydiver. Okay, off to a good start. On April 7th, 1972, McCoy hijacks a plane. Okay. Um, we assume that it's a copycat hijacking because a lot of those occurred after the Cooper mm-hmm. case because it was so famous. But it's also super, super similar. So it's like, is it a hijacking or was it his work done over again? Second you know what I attempt. mean? Hard to yeah. say. Um, he does get arrested for this hijacking. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But his hijacking obviously is very similar to Cooper's. Um, he boarded the same model of plane that... Cooper hijacked and he used the exact same method of escape like through the stairwell and everything he also requested four parachutes and seemed very calm throughout the heist um he also passed a note claiming that he had a bomb to the flight attendant uh he had he was a student at Brigham Young University um which does hinder the story a little bit because he that would be a lot younger than the profile Mm. that we were looking for um, but both of these crimes were committed while the school was on a break. So the timeline would have allowed him to be mm-hmm. there. Uh, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison for the hijacking he was arrested for. He escaped two years oh. later and it was eventually killed in a shootout three months later. Wow. Which was wild. Um, he was ruled out as a subject because there were discrepancies with his age and his appearance. Um, although... If you look up this fool next to the Dan Cooper sketches, I think he looks exactly the same. Like, it physically, it's the most convincing one to me. I Other people don't agree on that. I think he okay. looks the same. I can see it. I, I can see it. Yeah. Um, 
there is also some evidence that he might have been in Vegas on the day of the Cooper hijacking. And also he was home on Thanksgiving of that year. So people think it's unlikely mm. that he would have been able to do it and get home. Yeah, this is uh, I, this is a no for me. For it's me, the reason I'm most interested in it is because he looks so, uh, to me, I just think he looks the same. It <laughs> seems to me like he said, that guy kind of looks like me. I think I could pull this off. And yeah. he was like into that sort of thing. And then he d- he pulled a copycat yes. job because it's too similar. If he, if it had really been him, no way he would have done it exactly the same. Exactly. I agree. No way. I agree. I think it's a copycat. I just, I, I, the first time I saw his picture next to him, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's not man. like, it's not like a serial killer where they have like an MO. Right. It, it's like, you have to change it up or everybody's going to be like, well, this is the same thing that's happening. It's obviously that guy. You yes. Know? Yeah. Um, and I don't see what the motivation would be to go back and do it again. If you escaped the first time, I don't see what the motivation would be. Yes. But it would explain why the money never got spent. Because yes, he was that's in prison. Because it was but. a really short turnaround there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then this is the last one we're going to talk about. In 2003, Lyle Christensen sees a documentary on TV about the Cooper case and becomes convinced that his late brother, Kenneth, was the hijacker. Hmm. So apparently on Kenneth's deathbed, I told you we were going to get a lot of this. Um, he told his brother, there is something you should know, but I cannot tell you. And he never tells him what it is. Um, well, come on. You're on I your know, deathbed. right? You're dying. Just tell me. Um, I need you to know something, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Also, I'm about to die. So bye. sorry. Yeah. Come on. Um, he, Kenneth was a trained paratrooper during World War II. In 1954, he began he began working as a mechanic for Northwest Oriental, which is mm, the airline. The airline. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also eventually worked as a flight attendant for them. Mm. He was 45 at the time of the hijacking. Okay. He smoked and loved bourbon, which was part of the profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was left-handed. And they believe that Dan Cooper was probably left-handed because of where his tie clip was on his tie. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. He bought a house shortly after the time of the hijacking. There was there were reports that he bought it with cash, but it was later found out that he actually like had a mortgage on that house that mm. took like 17 years to pay off. Um when one of the flight attendants from the hijacked flight saw his picture, she said that the photos of Christensen fit her memory of the hijacker's appearance more closely than those of other suspects she had been shown, but she could not conclusively identify her. Okay. So she okay. thought that he looked the most like. Okay. Dan. This one I feel like is a maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, again, I'm not sure what the motive is here. Other than maybe he had some beef with the airline or was Yeah, I guess I guess or... that would point to it, the airline, but yeah, I don't know. But if he was strapped for cash, we would have found the bills. He would have he would have spent it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So man, that's a tough one for me. Yeah. That's a tough one. I feel like that uh, I kind of feel like it's a no. Yeah, but. I don't know. I'm I'm medium on that one. I, I find the details of that one to be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the FBI suspended active investigation of the case in July of 2016. The case was active and investigated for 45 years. Wow. Um, I find this fact very interesting. In 2011, the case file was over 40 feet long. <laughs> And there were over a thousand suspects that had been investigated at some point. Wow. The case file now is 60 volumes long. Wow. Um, Because the case is classified as a violation of the Hobbes Act, which has to do with embezzling and Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff, um, it has no statute of limitations. So if we found enough evidence on someone tomorrow, they could be tried for this crime. That's very interesting. Right? This is an interesting one because I do like 
in my soul feel like it's one of those that we're just never gonna know yep we're just I just never too. gonna know but, but if we I'll, did that there would be consequences could if that person is, is still alive by that yeah. time you yeah know. that's the thing but, the time's ticking ticking on there being consequences because if they were in their mid 40s in the 70s at the time of the attack and the case was closed 45 years after that would put them in their 80s or 90s now right so the clock is ticking on us actually finding somebody yeah and it's really ticking on confession yeah because that's really what you need for this case is a solid confession with back evidence to back it up that they have given right and but you know it's also possible that he he died when he jumped so i that's why i think we'll never know and this was because There's a very big chance that he died, and so that's where I think. And we'll that money has know. just eroded in the woods somewhere. We'll never know if he lived or died, and therefore we'll never know who did it. Yep, that's what I think. I agree, but it's really interesting. Yeah, I was in the mood for a, an unsolved mystery this week. So love that. There's love that. there's DB Cooper. Very interesting tale. I would love to know everybody's theories. Yes. Oh, my gosh, please. Or if you're convinced by any of the people I presented. Again, there are many, many more. Yeah. Get at us on Twitter if you want to tell us your theories or what you think about this uh, particular unsolved case. Mm -hmm. But, um, hey, next time. (gasps) Yay. Things are going to be a little bit different. Yeah. So normally I would be taking the next episode, but we are actually going to have a special guest. Yes. My friend Caitlin Ware is going to be guest hosting for us next week. I mean, we'll be here, but she's going to yeah. be telling us a, a, a tale of uh, of Stonewall Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are aware that he is a Confederate soldier. Don't worry. It's not that kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just an interesting topic. I mean, hello. Yeah. Let's not act like I haven't talked about some of the worst human beings. I did in an history. episode on Oscar Schindler, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, hello, I've talked about Rasputin. Right, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Let's be um, honest. But she, we're we're very excited to have her on next week, so that'll be super fun. Yeah, it'll be great. Um, and I'm excited because that means I don't have to do research for the next <laughs> one and I can take a break. So that's good for me. It's good timing. Um, so next time we will have Caitlin with us. We're very excited. Um, if you all have suggestions for new upcoming episodes, things you want us to talk about, or if you have questions, et cetera, et cetera, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. And like I said, you can tweet at us. Uh, we are at our rtt pod on twitter you can also find us on facebook if you just search the name of the podcast we don't use it very often but it's there if you want it (laughs) and if you want to find me on the internet i am at the real anna webb and i'm at acw nerdfighter hey all right so next week we'll have a very special guest and that will be fun yeah Uh, so until that next time remember that time